0: After um, short but very concise deliberation, we um, we have come up on the title for the series. And it's very proud to announce that we shall be going with the, the series title of Apocalypse Now. Now, those film heads will all of a sudden think about Vietnam and soldiers going off the rails, but again, just kind of wanting to use the whole idea of what apocalypse means revelation for now not revelation for the last 7 years of human history but how is revelation relevant to a church throughout the throughout the whole age as opposed to some pocket of people who will benefit from it at the very end of the current age and so as we think about the series itself hopefully it will minister to you revelation now Revelation for today. Revelation for what you're going through, even right now. To sustain you, to strengthen you. By way of title today, I've um, again my, our beloved sister Judith is going to be to blame for this. (laughs) But I've titled today palaces, parliaments, presidential houses, the Politburo. And and paradise. Now, obviously, you might start to think, well, what's going on there? And that that song that you got from Sesame Street starts to play in my head, which is, one of these things are doing their own thing. One of these things are all on its own. And hopefully, as we go through our sermon today, you'll be able to figure out which one of these places really do hold the keys to life? Where is the alpha and the omega? Where is the beginning and the end? First, let us turn to our word today. We're going to be looking at two chapters in Revelation. And that will be chapters four and five. God willing, we have, we'll make good time today. Amen. I'm going to be reading from the ESV. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne, and he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four elders, and seated on the thrones were twenty seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning Seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are the four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature was like a lion, and the second living creature like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature The four elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Then I saw in the right hand of of him who was seated on the throne, A scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. For you are slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word. For your word is true and it is alive, dear Lord God. You have given us, as we have stated, Lord, revelation for today. Revelation that we might live, dear Lord God, and feast on your word. Because again, we don't want to miss out on the blessing that revelation says. Because blessed is the person. I stand blessed now because I have read your word aloud, as this book proclaims. To your church, to your people, to me. And Father, for that, we don't want to lose our blessing. We don't want to skip over such an important part, there, Lord God, of what you have to say to your church today. So as we look at this scene, there, Lord, of the throne room of heaven, speak to us, there, Lord God. Speak to us of your judgment, impending judgment of the world. Speak to us, Lord God, of your sovereignty, the fact that you are on the throne. Speak to us, there, Lord God, of worship and where our affection should lie. Teach us, dear Lord God, how we might humble ourselves before you and have manner for today in your word. Thank you for your son who has been worthy and been found worthy. What a beautiful song we could sing in relation to the, what we're studying today. You are worthy. So, Father, thank you for this time. Be with us, dear Lord. Guide my mouth, guide my mind so that your people will be blessed. And let your spirit have his way. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. (coughs) Sorry. So, I want to begin kind of setting the scene. And I want to begin with a Run DMC lyrics. And... um, if it bewilders you right now, don't worry, I will develop it. And I, am a, I have to admit, I'm an old-school guy, I'm a bit of a Run DMC fan. But again, going through this, it just kind of struck me how things that we go through in life can correlate to things that are going to happen in the future. So the song is Crown Royale, and it says this. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever." No doubt Rev Run's contribution. The king's a ruler. The ruler rules. I'm going to try not to get into the flow of this so that we stay holy today. The king's a ruler. The ruler rules. The king, the king's a ruler. The ruler rules. The king's a ruler, the ruler rules. The king's a ruler. The ruler rules. I'm the epitome of royalty, you versus me is a joke. I'm a rage and major blaze, you cigarette smoke. Your video's number one, and that was part of our plan. Went from rock box to a whole countdown jam. Took rock music, switched it and flipped it, and made it raw. Anywhere you played, we played it before, in 84. Every show, 100,000 people or more. Fame still be giving us tours, and we be trying not to take them all. I bake them, and I'm quicker than Sarah Lee. Come battle me? Imagine that. What a sight that'll be. Front page of the Times. I can read the headlines now. Rev Run beat the clown down for trying to take his crown. The ruler, ruler. The ruler rules. The king's a ruler. The ruler rules. The king, the king's a ruler. The ruler rules. A king's a ruler. The ruler rules. I'm the reason you started rhyming. I'm the reason Rap Sales started climbing. That's why I'm still headlining. I'm the king and before I stop, your cat's gonna learn. Yeah, you all want to burn? Wait your turn. (laughs) Ron, I'm a living legend. My suggestion is learn your lesson. I leave you stressing and confessing and striving for blessing. And whatever your impression, it better be that we are the top pedigree, bringing you all energy since 83. I run this hair since way back when and I pick up a pair of shells and make you wear them again. If you thought I done did it, heard it, I done spit it. New cats want to pay their respects, then son, I'm with it. But if you're not, I'm a reclaiming the top of the charts, doing shows for dull flops, ripping apart. Other than that, I'll just be holding my own crown royalty up on the throne for real. Now, those of you who are no stranger to rat, the strength of the ego will not go amiss. But I remember watching the interview for what inspired them because obviously this album came out numerous years after again their initial popularity. And one of the reasons they wanted to 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 kind of bring this particular tune was to let people know, the younger rappers, the newer rappers, who had no idea what happened in the late 70s and the early 80s about what happened to make Rat where it was today. And the weirdest thing is that as much as I hadn't listened to Rat, obviously having an interest in Run DMC and listening to this, I would have to say, wow, I'm going to have to be honest with you. There's many things they say in here that is actually true. You're the reason... I'm the reason you have the ability ability to be famous and make a living out of rap. Now, even though they're not saying that it's just me, they're saying, I created the platform for you to be successful. And even more so, they said that we can come back and we can reclaim the chance. (laughs) They even go as far as to say, and again, we will see again how the word of God even today says that you you went to number one and that was part of our plan. When we think about Daniel 7 and what we were learning there about kings and nations coming up to to the throne and how even Jeremiah would say to Nebuchadnezzar, you went to number one, but that was part of his plan. We are in a plan from someone who has, as it were, established a foundation in which we cannot escape. Looking at our text today, let me kind of skip through this. Again, we have, because we are trying to do our tore through the book of Revelation at a, at a certain pace. I can only stress that the ability to go into detail is not necessarily a liability. So I apologize that I cannot cover everything, but I hopefully we can cover the main theme today of what is being stressed in these two chapters. So beginning at verse 1, after this... So having gone from the revelation of the churches and what the Spirit wants to say to the church, he says after this does not necessarily mean that the events are set in chronological order. Heaven is obviously a timeless realm. So again, many, I don't know, like I said, many people look at these events and try to put A kind of a futuristic tone to it and say well this is something that's going to happen in the future but again that doesn't help us because well what is it saying to me now I would say that the safest way to see these events as connecting to the past and not to some future event as it relates to the earth and the end times events naturally Most people tend to see these events as leading to the final seven years. So the opening of the scrolls is like the final seven years of human history. But as we learn from the apostles, the resurrection and not the opening of the scrolls marks the end times. The apostles constantly said, we are living in these end times. So the number seven can be better interpreted as being symbolic rather than literal. A completion, a time of completion. A time of completion meaning that within the plan of God, God has encapsulated all those years from the time of Christ's resurrection right up until the actual end as being a complete period. Therefore, it may be more appropriate To see these events being in sync with the ascension in Acts 1. So Christ ascends, and what does he do? He inaugurates the end time process officially. He takes the scroll. Having said that, walking through a door and being in the spirit certainly seems to suggest that time and space have no bearing, these are supernatural events. And so within the heavenly concept, this is still, can still be happening because, again, as Peter says, a thousand years is as a year with the Lord and a year as a thousand years. So trying to locate this, as so many theologians do, in a specific time, I think is a waste of ink. So here we have the throne room of heaven. The appearance of God on the throne is not to be taken in a literal sense, much like Jesus' appearance in the first chapter. A symbolic representation, not an exact one. Within the symbolic world, what is being communicated is the value and preciousness of the divine being as demonstrated by the precious stones. This is a precious one. This is a valueless one. This is a real one unlike any other. The rainbow also seems to allude to the signs given to Noah after the flood. Its appearance around the flood seems to suggest that God's past promise of not flooding the world is being upheld, but the world is still facing judgment again. So God makes the promise, I will not flood the earth with water. But that doesn't mean that judgment is foregone. The twenty-four elders around the throne speak of God's divine counsel. It is hard to determine if these are angelic beings or humans. Traditionally, people have seen them as representing the twelve tribes of Israel and the twelve apostles, key the key to establishment of the of the Abrahamic covenant, both old and new. So. Within the beginning of the Abrahamic covenant, the 12 sons of Jacob became the establishment of Israel. So, also with the 12 apostles becomes the establishment of the new covenant with the 12 disciples or the 12 apostles. And so, 12 becomes associated with a a number of of governments. Most commentators, however, believe that the key understanding to the 24 thrones is to be found in First Chronicles 24 and 25 with the, the four, 24 key offices of the, Lev, of the Levites. It's worth noting here that even God chooses to work within a council. No excuses for leaders today not to follow the same principle. If God Himself stands in the council, who are you? Amos 3:7. Surely the Sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing His plan to His servants, the prophets. No reason for pastors to be springing stuff on congregations. <laughs> well, I had a dream last night, and I think this is what we're going to be doing next. <laughs> yeah, right. <coughs> The peals of thunder and lightning allude to the appearance of God on Mount Sinai. Again, looking back to Exodus 19. So again, I've I've stressed the fact that we are looking at the pattern of redemption within the course of human history. And so what God does in the Exodus becomes highly relevant to God's redemption of his people at the end of the current age. And so... Exodus 19 brings us back to Mount Sinai, where the people saw this terrifying thunders and clouds and dark, dark clouds and lightnings, which made people say, speak to Moses, don't speak to me. So in the next chapter, we also find that the dead lamb as well, another important symbol from the book of Exodus, the dead lamb, the picture of the Passover, which also alludes to the beginning of God's deliverance of Israel from, and from Egypt. So John is not doing anything new here. As God delivered Israel from Egypt, so he will deliver his people from the old creation. The living creatures now, also described here, are similar in description to the one in Ezekiel 1 and 2. And it is best to assume that both Ezekiel and John are witnessing the same creatures, but they are not literal portraits of them. Hence, the details differ. Some commentators believe that they represent the different species of creatures on the earth. However, it is hard to see exactly how they correlate. To the schema of heaven and earth, but maybe, maybe, there are just a picture of what an unfallen creation would look like in relation to their creator, continuously living in worship. So where where humanity fails, there is a picture of what humanity would look like in heaven. All animals living in reverence to their God. What is man's chief end? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. The Westminster Shorter Catechisms. The worship of both the living creatures and the 24 elders is a perfect representation of what the catechisms mark as all creation's chief end. What do we exist for? Ultimately, To worship God. In relating this chapter to what we have learned so far in the book of Revelation, we must acknowledge that our loss of love and the worship of God will lead us off the rails. If that love of God, remember, it's not just just enough to say that I acknowledge that there is a God, it's the fact that we have a relationship with him. I love him. I'm enjoying my relationship with God. that's what we call saving faith not I know of a God or I'm agnostic and I allow for the the, the the option of there being a God but that I'm enjoying that knowledge that there is a God I'm enjoying the relationship so the trade what we, we we saw last week about churches going off the rails is that loss of love isn't it that centrality of Jesus or, or, or the Godhead being in their ministry of choosing other things other than God to focus on. Israel also, for all its faults, did not really stop worshipping Yahweh. This is one of those things where you actually study the word of God. And this, is, this blew my mind when I really kind of started to figure it out, especially going through the book of Judges they never really stopped worshipping Yahweh. The accusation of idolatry applied to them because they did not worship him alone. To worship God amongst other gods, we we can still say, well, God is still in my top five. So to worship God amongst other gods is the same as not worship him in at all. It's the same thing. So when Ezekiel comes to them, oh, sorry, Elijah comes to them on the top of Mount Carmel and says, choose which day which God you will serve. We have need to be driven to that point where we have to say, I need to make it God alone. The throne of God is most importantly a symbol of God's sovereign control over all things. And this is important to the church because it will surely go through difficult times. Some will never be without tribulation in their lifetime. There are churches now, they will never see the end of tribulation in their lifetime. Where it will seem that God has forsaken the church, we must be aware that his plan is still unfolding. Remember that picture I gave you when we were going through the book of Daniel, that picture of of Babe Ruth calling the plays? But God calling the plays? I'm going to tell you about Alexander the Great. I'm going to tell you about Darius. I'm going to tell you about all these, because I want you to know that when all these kings come and go, Ultimately, you will understand that I am coming back. I am on the throne. You went to number one and that was part of my plan. The revelation that Daniel receives was most important for Israel. At the time when they had gone into exile. The chief consideration for those who are inclined to God when they go into exile, is what has happened to the eternal covenant of God that was made to Abraham and Daniel, that was linked to the land. How can we be God's people? Again, remember the psalm? How can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? How can we be the people of God when we are no longer in the land? The land is the promised land, the, the, the land in which we can say God's presence is here. How do we live? What has happened to the covenant? Well, Daniel has this outpouring of visions and revelations to help propel them into what God is doing next. And he's calling the plays. Daniel has shown that many empires will come and go, but it is those who are with the Son of Man who will stand forever. God's presence was not just linked to the promised land, but to all who have faith in him, wherever they are. God was starting to build his temple in people and not in bricks and mortar. As the Apostle Paul says, you are The temple of God. The person who does not rest upon the sovereignty of God will not be able to find comfort in his promises and will therefore not endure the time of trial. A weak understanding of God's sovereignty will not sustain you. You will watch what's going on around you more than you will watch what the Word of God tells you. Chapter 5 opens with the scroll and the seven seals appearing in the hand of the sovereign God. Again, I attribute that the, the person on the throne, it has to be God. And the angels call to all the living creatures, both earthly and heavenly, and it surely is a way in which he establishes that the divide between the fallen humanity and also the non-divine human beings, the angels, be it, the angelic beings, and that there is a divide, a solid divide between them and the divine Godhead. So all this laboring from Jehovah's Witnesses and, and as such to, to try and put Jesus amongst the non-divine. and the Muslims, amongst the non-divine. And that's a distinction. Because the call goes out, not just, and this is something that they may miss, not just to everyone on earth, but everyone in heaven as well. And if Jesus is just an angelic being, then he stands with everybody else. But he's not. He is identified as part of the divine Godhead and therefore worthy to open the scroll. John cries because he knows that the fate of the whole world hangs in the unsealing of the scroll. The elder then points John to the Lamb. And gives him the messi- the, it gives him that messianic rich title of the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David. This title alludes to the prophetic words of both Jacob and Nathan. Let me read them briefly to you. Genesis 49, this is Jacob speaking over his son Judah at the time of his death. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until it is upon to, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nation shall be his. What does Nathan say to David at the point where he, he David asks, "I want to build a temple for God," and God says, "No, I want to build a house for you. I want to build a dynasty for you." Nathan says to this, the Lord declares to you, the Lord himself will establish a house for you, a dynasty for you. When, he, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. He is the Lamb. i the Lion of Judah. The lamb is then described as slain. You know, in the Greek, the tense of the verb is in the present continuous, a perfect participle. So the lamb is perpetually slain, yet alive. So it's not like it has a wound that shown that at some point in in history, he had died. It's perpetually dead, yet living. This symbolic picture of Christ on the cross now is now typified as the dead lamb that wears his victory in, in the humiliating death on the cross as a badge of honor. It's said that many a believer goes into the kingdom limping with a thorn in their flesh. Things that God never resolves in their life and For us to understand is that, like the lamb, we wear those things that people think are our downfall and we wear it as a badge of honor. God, you're using this. You're using this. The lamb is also described as having... Horns, which speak of authority. And seven eyes, which speak of perfect knowledge and understanding. The seven spirits also identify Jesus as one with the divine Godhead, with the Father and the Spirit. So Jesus then takes the scroll, which in turn leads to the response of the four living creatures and the 24 elders, bowing down to Jesus in worship. The fact that worship, that Jesus is worshipped, just as the Father is worshipped, in the previous chapter, speaks to the consistency being drawn between him and the Father and the Spirit. The sovereignty of the Father over creation is therefore also true of the Son. The song that is sung by the living creatures and the elders certainly speaks to the wisdom of the goddess as having factored the redemption of the world into the very foundation of creation. This is a profound idea. A profound idea that that the redemption that that the redemption of humanity is not a plan B. It's not a, 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 a oh no we gotta we gotta save them somehow and uh, you know Adam's eating the apple. Oh man, plan B. That's what we tend to think. But when you understand it from Peter's perspective, let me read to you from First Peter 1, 17 to 21. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deed, conduct yourself with fear without, without, throughout your time of exile. Isn't that an interesting term? Throughout your time of exile. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb. Without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times. See that thing? The last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Christ on the cross was not a plan B. From the foundation of the world, God had planned to redeem it. We are still in plan A. And there is no plan B. So rather than mankind's fall being a distraction from the plans and purposes of God, it actually propels it into motion. This is not to say that God is the author of evil, but is even sovereign over evil to make it work for his good. In Daniel, we see that through the system of empire, he will spread the gospel. So remember now, the the Jews who were so tied to the land because they believed that the land was the place of blessing. Even as we've been going through the book of Samuel, we've been seeing that place that point where when David has to leave because of Saul hunting him down he feels like how am i going to be blessed outside of the land and it becomes a problem for him but what we see here is that it's not really about the land This again is not an endorsement of those empires, but a fact that what others can mean for harm will be used for good. Even the wickedness of Joseph's brothers did not frustrate the plan of God, but actually fulfilled it. But Joseph said to them, do not fear for, I am, in the, for am I in the place of God? As for you, You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. What we find is that pattern, not just within Daniel and the exile and how, you know, again, me and my family have been going through the book of Esther, isn't it? And so what would have happened with this plan of Haman if Esther wasn't in the place that she was in? in Persia, in Susa, to be able to save all the Jews wherever they were. That scattering of God's people, as we see also in the book of Acts, was to propel it. Tribulation was propelling it. Exile was propelling it into what God had planned. We're still on plan A. These things are not frustrating it. You went to number one, but that was part of my plan. As you look at the text in Genesis, what initially, sorry. So this leads to an important point about the song. Because it is revealed that the blood of the Lamb has saved a multitude of people from every corner of the world. So that spreading out of God's people, the spreading out of the Jews, the spreading out of the Christians in the first century was God's plan to bring in all the nations. When we go back to the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 22, 17 to 18, it says this, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. As you look at the text in Genesis, what initially is a blessing for the ethnic descendants of Abraham, what you see in verse 17, then in verse 18, and in your offspring is to be revealed that Jesus being in your offspring, to be revealed as a blessing for the nations. So what starts off as an ethnic blessing is continued on into, and then in your offspring, it will now spread to the whole nation was always part of God's plan. But how were God's people going to do it if they were tied to the land? And they were afraid to leave it. So, at the end of the current age, God's plan creation and to bring in all these people, and redemption is fulfilled through Jesus. How do we apply this? What do we take away from this? I think there's three things that we need to be aware of as we look at these two chapters. The first one is judgment. The appearance of God in chapter 4 with the living creatures and the throne allude to both Daniel 7. So Daniel 7 builds this picture of God's throne and how these plan is proceeding of how these empires will form. Specifically how these empires will form under specific leaders. And also in Ezekiel 1 and 2, we also see similar appearances of the throne room of God also in Isaiah 6. In which the judgment of the world and Israel are in view in those particular places. The scroll in chapter 5 also hits us with two coinciding realities. So as my brother Felix unwraps that with you next week, there's two realities we need to be aware of. The opening of the scroll is simultaneously the redemption of God's people leading to the new creation and also the judgment of the ungodly and the destruction of the old creation. So those things are happening simultaneously. As God is unraveling the old creation, he is propelling the new creation into being. So what becomes judgment for the people of God, what became judgment upon, the, the, upon Pharaoh and all those who followed Pharaoh in Egypt at the time of the curses was turning into the redemption of God's people. So as they are suffering, as they are struggling, God's people are getting ready to leave. Two realities going on at the same time. Where will you stand? On what side of that reality will you stand? Sovereignty is the next thing. The presentation of God being on the throne, as well as being titled the Alpha and the Mega, is a key theme in the whole book of Revelation. If the believer is going to make it through a time of testing, then they're going to need to trust that no matter what they face, even the most terrifying of worldly powers remember that fourth beast whose reign is who, who couldn't even be described. And when we look at the history, we have seen some terrifying regimes capable of some mass deaths, mass atrocities. Who will save us from these things? Without a strong belief in the sovereignty of God. A belief that God who will work all things together for good. For his glory. And our good. Good for those who love him. That theme of loving him is important. We can run off with Romans 8.28, isn't it? And, 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 and forget, to those who love him... Is a qualifier. Trying to clutch on him to be in a kind of a loose affiliation because you're going through a difficult time, but you're ready to, you know, to kind of run on with your life as soon as he's no longer proved relevant. That's not loving him. And you're going to end up in another situation that's going to keep on putting you on the wrong side of God. To those who love him. And that brings us to our final one of worship. Because only those who love him will truly worship him. Humanity then, in the final divide. You know, people like to use this staple. You know, there's two types of people in the world. And again, it's quite helpful. But in Revelation, the final divide is between there are two types of people. Those who love him and work within his will and fulfill his purpose and those who do not love him and work against his will and yet still fulfill his purpose. So which are you going to be? You cannot be the one who does not fulfill his purpose. That's for sure. But it's the love that is the defining factor. Do you love him? The actor Brad Pitt. Now, this I thought this was quite startling because I like Brad Pitt. He's one of my probably my favourite actor. But the actor Brad Pitt has claimed that he walked away from Christianity because God comes across as egotistical because He desires and demands worship and adoration. The assumption of our age is that humanity are free, autonomous individuals and therefore should not be compelled to do anything that they do not desire to do. Being commanded to love does not sit well within a free society. How are we to guard ourselves from what the culture views as vulgar And vainglorious. Well, let me tell you this. If it's true, then it's not bragging. (laughs) If it's true, it's not bragging. Run DMC may be right to look at a whole generation of rappers and claim that they owe it to them, that they are the opportunity to be rich and famous, but they are still creatures. God, however, is distinct in that he is the creator of all and relies on no one, and that alone makes him worthy of worship. What can be regarded as repulsive for humans to demand love and adoration cannot be deemed So, for the Godhead, totally different leagues. For the true believer, their love and worship of God will indeed be free. Not compelled. Because it will be based on the revelation of who Christ is. A fear of hell. An imperfect contrition. Versus a perfect contrition. I love God. I, I mean, to be honest with you, like I said, it's that ability to live anywhere, under any kind of condition. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness where feasting is. It's that type of, I don't care what you're offering me. I'd rather be with little where God is than to live and have everything in life and lose my soul. That imperfect contrition where it's just a fear of hell. And when we talk about revelation, that tends to be so true, right? It's my fear of hell, which is still rooted in a self-love. A love of my flesh. A love of, oh, I don't want to see myself get damaged and hurt. That is propelling you. But it won't see you through anything. A fear of hell will not save you. Our worship and what we worship defines us. It defines us. Who wants to go to a place where the tunes (laughs) and the party is for someone you don't even like? You know, they're just singing praises to Jesus, your word. Who wants to be in that party? Who wants to be in that atmosphere? My final question is, what is your chief aim in life? Let's pray.